Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to 2 Kings chapter 6 as we finish off the chapter 2 Kings chapter 6, remember the king of Syria sent chariots and horses and an army, little militia, to capture Elisha. And it's a little comical to think that a Syrian uh, king would spend so much energy and effort to go get one man. But remember, this wasn't just any man. Elisha is known as a man of God. He wasn't known as a man of the world. He wasn't known as a man of money or a man of fame. He wasn't known uh, by other titles of a man of knowledge, but rather he was a man of God. And it's so key that we learn from his life that we also strive to be men and women of God. I mean, Elisha, he was so in tune with God that remember God would reveal to him the secrets that would even be spoken in the bedroom and in private, that, that God would reveal to Elisha in amazing detail, preciseness, and most importantly, what God reveals is always truth. God never reveals falsehood. He doesn't speak lies. And so God, he reveals to Elisha, you know, 73 times in the Bible, the phrase man of God is used. And in many other times, it's implied. And may that be used of us. The Bible says, and Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Make God's kingdom and his righteousness and his goodness, make that your aim and the focus of your energy. Elisha was the man that God would give insights to and it ticked off the king that all of his ambushes in this little skirmish would be revealed and be uh, done away with because God would reveal where they were. Now remember, Elisha wasn't alone He had his servant with him. And early in the morning, his servant got up and he looked out and he saw all that was against them. And we spent a lot of time in our Bible study last week. You should grab it and get it from the the app or the website. The last time we were together, we really emphasized what God teaches us about the physical and the spiritual and how they're both real. And yet the physical seems to take our attention off of the spiritual. And the more we see with the eye, the more discouraged we'll become. And so a servant gets up, he sees everybody coming against him, and he freaks out, just like you and I would. What are we supposed to do? Actually, the word, notice, remember in chapter 6, the word that he uses, I'm actually in the wrong book, so let me get to 2 Kings. The word that he uses is in verse 15, he says at the end there, alas, my master. That's the New King James way of saying that he freaked out. And he was afraid. And for good reason. He's surrounded by, this is a couple guys surrounded by an army, by a militia, by horses, chariots. And yet, what did Elisha do? He prayed. He said, don't fear. And he prayed that the eyes would be open. It says in verse 17, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And then the Lord opened his eyes of the young man and he saw, he saw spiritually His eyes saw physically, but God gave him insight into another dimension, the spiritual dimension, and he saw that too. 
And behold, the mountain was full of horses, chariots of fire all around Elisha. So, verse 18, when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Now Elisha said to them, This is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I'll bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria. I mean, it's a pretty incredible, bold man, Elisha, asking for them to be struck with blindness. And they're blind, and he comes to him and he starts leading them away. Oh, this, I am not the man that you seek. And he takes them away, and he leads them all the way to Samaria. But I, I found it interesting that the boldness of Elisha, like he, he prayed and God answered. And how often do we pray with that confidence that Elisha has? I mean, it's a pretty bold prayer. And, and as he, he prays, God answers exactly as requested, and, and he leads him away. Now, notice verse 20. So it was when they had come to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and there they were inside Samaria. Now when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? And so he answered, You shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you have taken captive with your sword and your bow? Set food and, food and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. And then he prepared a great feast for them. And after they ate and drank, he sent them away and they went to their master. So the bands of the Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. Now, as the army was blinded, led by Elisha into Samaria, where the king of Israel is, they find themselves in Samaria. Now, Elisha asks God, open their eyes so they can see where they're at. And the king of Israel, verse 21, doesn't know what to do. They open their eyes and they know they're in trouble, but the king of Israel doesn't know what to do. Should I kill them, Elisha? Shall I take care of them? Why'd you lead them here? And the answer from Elisha was, don't, don't kill them. Feed them. Don't wipe them out. Take care of them. I mean, this is a, the backdrop of this story isn't like our personal conflicts with people. This is warfare. This is an episode in the life of the children of Israel where there's warfare. They, these guys were sent by the king of the enemy country, Syria, to go take Elisha so that they might wipe Elisha out. But instead, God intervened, opened the eyes of the servant, gave him a lesson, gave insight to Elisha and answered his prayers about blindness, these guys get led into the city of Samaria before the king. They open their eyes, and the king just doesn't know what to do. His first thing is, what would be natural? What would be natural in war when you capture? Let's get rid of them. Let's take care of them. They went after you. Let's go after them. And Elisha says, no, no, no. Why would you do that? Because what we're seeing here is counterintuitive. And haven't we noticed that in our studies throughout the Scripture? I mean, we felt the same way, those of you that were with us when we were studying through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. So many of us felt the same way in this battle between David and, and King Saul. Because King Saul's chasing him around, throwing spears at him, chasing him into caves. And he even had that chance. Even the people that were close to David said, hey, he's in the cave all by himself. Go take him out. That's what, take, end this. 
Why do we keep running? If you'll just take them out, we won't have to run anymore and you'll become king. I mean, it just makes sense. Forget about this nonsense. Take them out. And yet David's conscience and his heart was so close to God that he didn't take out King Saul, but recognized that God had put King Saul in his life to teach him how to become a dependent man upon God. That he was, the phrase was used, God's anointed. And instead of taking him out in the cave, he goes up to his robe and he cuts it off and he shows King Saul, trying to show to him, show to, king, to the king that, that I, I had my chance and I didn't take you out. I want you to know you're chasing a man of integrity, not a man of perfection, but a man of integrity. Later to be known, David, as the man after God's own heart, even with all the failures that he made. You know, with, with David running from King Saul, he had chance after chance to take him out. And as we put ourselves in his shoes, I think we would feel the same way. I think when there is opposition against us, uh, when maybe even someone was sent to take us out, but God miraculously saved us, I don't know how often our first response would be, oh, let's give them some food and go out to dinner with them. That, that isn't our natural way of thinking. It's a supernatural way of thinking, but it's not a natural way of thinking. The natural way of thinking would be something along these lines. We have these people coming after us. God delivered us. So because God delivered us, God must want us to wipe them out or get even or make it worse for them or a variety of other options. But that's simply not the heart of God. The, the ways of God are not our ways and the thoughts of God are not our thoughts. And when it comes to our enemies... The Bible couldn't be clearer. When it comes to our enemies, we're to love them. I don't see anybody taking notes on that, but you might want to jot that down. When it comes to our enemies, the way of agape love, the way of God is to love them. Even though we might expect something or even feel something, the way of God is to bless them, not curse them. You know, when we talk about enemies, you hear that word and your response is, you know, I hate my enemies, Ed. I hate them. I hate what they've done to me. I hate what they're doing to me. I can't stand them. And you know what, Ed? If you knew them, I'm sure you'd agree with me. And you'd hate them too. All they do is talk behind my back. They hurt me on purpose. They lie about me. They do everything in their power to make life miserable for me. So how would I not hate them living with that day after day? I'm sure somewhere in the Bible gives me permission to just get back a little bit. Somewhere in the Bible gives me permission to hate them back. You know, by definition, an enemy is, quote, a person who's actively opposed or hostile. A person that's actively opposed or hostile. People that are actively opposed, opposing you or me. People that are actively hostile to you and me. It's not, they're not easy to love, are they? Is there an amen to that? They're not easy to love, those that are in opposition. Those that might be actively against us. Not easy to, you know, they're not easy to love. For goodness sake, they're not easy to like. And yet, when it comes to our enemies, there's no exception for us. And you go, Ged, come on. You need to read the Psalms. Well, let's go to a Psalm. Psalm 58. Because maybe you've been reading the Psalms lately and you have found the exception. Psalm 58. All right, well, let's go to Psalm 58 and let's see what it says. 
the one exception, the one place. In verse 1, the psalmist, he cries out, David says, Do you indeed speak righteousness, you silent ones? Do you judge uprightly, you sons of men? Know in heart you work wickedness. You weigh out the violence of your hands in the earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they're born, speaking lies. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They're like deaf cobra that stops its ear, which will not heed the voice of charmers, charming ever so skillfully. So I'd say he's describing some wicked enemies, right? So here's verse six. This is your memory verse. Break their teeth in their mouth, O God, and break the fangs of young lions. Oh, Lord. That's not an instruction for you to follow in David's footsteps. What David's doing here is a lot of what you and I have done before. We express our heart to God in prayer. Now, aren't you glad that your prayers were, were not written down and put in the Bible for everybody to read the rest of your life? But you know, in David's life, this was included in the scriptures so that you might relate to it when you feel that way when there is opposition that doesn't seem to end or when there are difficulties and the response is not to break their teeth. I know the topic of enemies isn't a fun one to cover. And perhaps even in the definition of enemies, you wouldn't consider anyone in your life like that right now. However, as you survey your life, I'm certain there are those that you don't get along with or don't like you perhaps. None of us really want to admit that we have a few people out there that don't like us or are hostile toward us. But enemies come to all of us in one shape or another. I mean, if you think about it, in just your relationship and commitment to Jesus Christ, you're going to develop enemies. You're gonna develop people that are hostile, just dealing with the hostility of the, you know, Jesus said, if they hated me, they're gonna hate you. And so there, there's a sense of even in that, that walk, even though your personality is good and you get along with people, just your allegiance to Jesus Christ will often bring out the worst in people towards you. And so let's move on to the teachings of our Jesus just so we can be reminded because I have it pictured here in 2 Kings, but would you turn to Matthew chapter 5? Matthew chapter 5 as we're just reminded of the teachings of Jesus and, and reminded tonight in our Bible study, maybe you're listening on the radio or connecting to us on the internet, uh, that we're to love our enemies. And Jesus couldn't be more clearer in his teachings to us as our Savior, he says in verse 43 of Matthew chapter 5, he says, You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Now, who said hate your enemies? Who said that? It's not in the Bible. It's not a biblical teaching. The first part is biblical. You shall love your neighbor. But the second part was added by the rabbinic teachers of the day in the oral law. It had become the oral law had become just as important or more so than the written law. And one of the oral traditions was it's okay to hate your enemies. And Jesus, God in human flesh, comes on the scene and says, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm the word in flesh. And I, I know you've heard this said. I know you've heard it. I know you've been taught it. I know you even believe it, that, that love your neighbor, but you have permission to hate your 
enemies, but I say to you, love your enemies. I say to you, love your enemies. That's the heart of God for our lives today. To love our enemies. To heap blessings upon them. To pray diligently for them. Not allowing anger and bitterness to invade your life and control your mind to take you off course, but rather to run your race that's before you with single-minded purpose, the single-minded purpose of love. And again, in our Bible study, we come to a place where it's often easier said than done. It's really the essence of a battle in our hearts between walking in the Spirit in obedience to God and walking in the flesh in obedience to our own desires. Because many of you listening to me have been hurt deeply by other people. Deep, searing pain. Some of you to the very core of your being. And it's, maybe you've even used the word, it's impossible to love them, Ed. And you might have taken a posture right now as you're listening to me, is now I'm the pastor and you're opposed to the pastor because the words are really hard to receive. And we tend to do that. We take, op- we take positions of opposition so we don't let things sink in. But there's no need to be in opposition to me. Neither is, any, is there any need to be opposition to Jesus Christ because I, want, I think he's teaching us in the point where he really wants us to grasp how the gospel makes a difference in our community. Because the world hates everyone. It doesn't really matter. Anyone that opposes them. This world system has a tendency to train people to eat one another up, to destroy one another, to do whatever it takes to take care of me, myself, and I, to steal, to kill, to destroy, to lie, to be deceptive, to cheat, to take shortcuts, whatever, and anybody that gets in their way, it's no, no stopping them. And so how does a church of Jesus Christ make a difference in this community, in this world that we're in, when we do exactly what the world does? When we sound just like the world? When we bite and devour one another? When we talk down on one another? When we try to one-up one another? When we don't walk in the love that God has given to us by His Holy Spirit, where He is, the Bible literally says He's poured out His Spirit of love in us. That, that we have been transformed by this very same love. And while enemies do have a tendency to bring out the worst in us, God always brings out the best in us. God always brings out the sense of his agape love that we might truly have a transformative life that we are not who we used to be. And that we are different distinctively different from the world in which we live. How is that possible if it's humanly impossible? Well, it's the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it's modeled by Jesus over and over again. Which one of us in our own strength, our own wisdom, would literally be beaten half to death, close to, no more than half to death, beaten, flogged to the point of being unrecognizable, then be hanging on a cross in the last few moments of life, using the last few breaths of life, saying these words, Father, 
forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. Now, let's be real here. Most of us, our minds kind of say, well, I think I would. Or maybe I would. And, and we put ourselves oftentimes in the best light. As we think of ourselves, and this is a failure of our humanity, you know. We often think of ourselves in our best moment, but we remember other people in their worst moments. And that's just not the heart of God. God sees better, sees more in us in our than we see in our, even our best moments, he sees his son in us, his righteousness covering us. And it's simply not fair and it's not uh, godly to hold other people to standards that we don't even hold to ourselves instead of just submitting ourselves to the standard of Jesus Christ and admitting our failures and our weaknesses and our sins and the impossibilities in our lives and just cast ourselves down at the feet of Jesus and say, do what you can with me because I'm not able to do anything on my own. Because if it was up to me, I would have taken my enemies out a long time ago. But God knows something that we don't, and that's the power of love. Now, of course, we're learning the power of love. Every time we respond in love, God blesses us, and we learn the value and the power of love. But God understands love in its totality. And as he goes on to teach us in verse 45, as we, as we do these things, love, bless, do good, pray, he says in verse 45 that you might be sons of your father. These are signs of, these are family signs. These are the things that mark your family, just like in your own family. There are just distinctives in your family that make your family different than my family. We, we have distinctives in my family. You know, some of the things that are the same is you have a family, I have a family. But there are marks of your family that are different. There are marks maybe facially, maybe the accent that you speak, maybe the language that you speak, may, maybe the foods that you like that, that, that make you distinctive. And what we're reading here are the distinctives of the family of God. The family of God loves when it's expected to destroy. The family of, of God responds in grace when what is expected is to respond in judgment. Why? Because God has poured out his grace in us. He has set the bar and set the tone. And so these are things that show that we're sons of the Father. That we're truly his kids. He says, because he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust. If you love those that love you, what reward is that? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And when he's referring to tax collectors, it was a, a phrase in that day that referred to those that were not living in the covenant of God. They were living outside of the covenant. They were religious, you could say. But they really, their lives, they said they followed God, but their lives really didn't. You know, tax collectors, they were just basically thieves. They worked for the Roman government. They collected taxes, but were also given freedom to take as much as they could while they were collecting. And they would take the tax that was owed to Rome and give that to Rome, but they would keep the rest. So you know what they were? Millionaires. They were very successful, stealing from their own people. And he says, don't even the, don't, don't even the sinners, don't, isn't that what they do? Don't they, they, they like and hang out with the people that they like. They love the people that love them. He says, therefore, verse 48, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And that really sums it up, doesn't it? For those of you that were kind of tracking along and going, you know, I think I can love and I think I can forgive and, and I think I can do it. 
Jesus says, just in case you think you can, I want you to know the bar is not just love, it's perfection. And kingdom living reveals to all of us that none of us can live a perfect life. There isn't one among us that has ever lived a perfect life. We're all failures. We've all failed. We've all stumbled. I mean, some of you failed even before you got out of bed this morning. You woke up and the first thought was some sinful thing and you're like, whoa, I'm not even out of bed yet and I'm battling with the flesh. And you repented, you got up, brushed your teeth, you had another bad thought. I mean, all day you were just all messed up in your head. And so just today disqualifies you from being perfect. And the point that Jesus is making is that what, what he is requiring from us can only be given to us by him. The love that you have for those that love you, that's kind of your love. Of course, you love and like them. But the ones that are actively hostile and opposed to you, man, those are the ones that really require a surrender to God. Turn over to Romans chapter 12. Let me give you another. Romans chapter 12. Now, Paul picks up on the same theme. Why? Because the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. And he inspired Matthew to give us these words of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, he inspired Paul the Apostle to write to us this insight in Romans chapter 12. Pick up with me in verse 17, would you? Romans chapter 12, verse 17. So what's happening with Elisha, remember? Elisha, he leads the guys to the king of Israel, the enemies of God, and the king of Israel. What am I supposed to do, kill them? Elisha said, no, feed them. Take care of them. Serve them. Notice verse 17 now of Romans 12. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. That's the wrath of God. Give God room to work. Give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemies hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, give him a drink. For so doing, you'll heap coals of fire on his head. <laughs> and you're like, okay, I like that one. Do not be overcome by evil. That's the immediate danger of not loving enemies is that you and I will be overcome by evil. We'll become just as or more evil than they. Don't be overcome by evil, but rather overcome evil with good. I'll tell you, if you've ever experienced people treating you badly, it almost always feels like evil is going to overcome you. It almost always gets the worst of you. It almost always inspires these thoughts that you don't really want that you didn't ask for. There's a constant battle, a continual battle. The ex that keeps taking you to court, using the kids against you in that divorce, lying on the stand. Your parents don't love Jesus. Your kids are trying to use things against you, holding back the kids or the grandkids from you over and over and over. Bless, don't let evil overcome you. Respond with good. It's been said that evil triumphs but it never conquers. Is there an amen to that? Evil triumphs. There seems to be these little skirmishes and these little battles, but it will not 
overcome because when good is when the response is something good and it's the agape love of God, it will not conquer you. It will not conquer you. In order for evil to conquer you, you have to cooperate with it. And you have to try to meet it head on and you'll never, you and I will never. That's not what the Bible teaches. You have heard it said, you can love your neighbor and hate your enemy. No, no, I tell you, love them. Jesus has conquered evil once and for all. And the safest place on the planet earth today is to be hidden and abiding in Jesus Christ. And to really just allow God to protect you and allow God to bring about truth and vengeance and all let him deal with that it's almost it reminded at the end of uh, the gospel of John remember uh, as, as that person was asking what about him and what did Jesus say hey what is that to you you follow me now of course with evil and stuff if you hear what is that to you you're like, eh, you don't understand God no God does understand and it's your life that he cares about because you're the one speaking to him and you're the one praying to him and you're the one in Bible study and you're the one that wants to do the right thing and you're the one that wants to live in forgiveness and you're the one that doesn't want to be bitter and you're the one that wants to make a difference in this world for Jesus. That's why God is giving you the attention and telling you, hey, overcome evil with good. When evil comes into our lives, we're to bless those that persecute us. Notice back in verse 14, Romans 12. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Don't set your, thing, your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. And then we get to 17 again. Repay no one evil for evil. So here's a list that we see in this, in this section of what do we do when evil comes into our lives. Number one, we bless those who persecute us. Number two, we bless and do not curse. Number three, we repay no one evil for evil. Number four, if it's at all possible, live peaceably with everyone. Number five, do not avenge yourself. Number six, give place to God's wrath. Number seven, if your enemy happens to be hungry, feed him. Number eight, if your enemy's thirsty, give him a drink. And then finally, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Be a blessing to them. Don't, think, think, don't take things into your own hands. Go the extra mile in helping when there's opportunity. And this is all throughout the scriptures, just a couple places. Come back now in 2 Kings, because that's exactly what's happening here in a different context. In 2 Kings 6. Feed them, take care of them. And notice, get back there. Pick up in verse 24 now. And it happened, well, really, at the end of verse 23, so the bands of the Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. So this small group of this army, these chariots, they never did come back. They never were an issue. Now, of course, in verse 24, it happened after this, that Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all of his army and went up and besieged Samaria. So this is some time later. So now they're being attacked with a different group. And there was a great famine in Samaria. And indeed they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and one-fourth of a pint of dove droppings for five shekels of silver. That's a serious famine. <laughs> uh, we don't understand famine in our culture today, but this is an absolute uh, loss 
of food and water to the point of starvation. And so what is happening here? Donkey's heads are sold for an amazing amount of money and so is a little pint of dove poop. It's a very difficult time. Verse 26. Then as the king of Israel was passing on by the wall, a woman cried out to him, Help my lord, O king. And he said, If the lord does not help you, where can I find help for you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? And the king said to her, What is troubling you? And she answered, This woman said to me, Give me your son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her on the next day, give your son that we might eat him. And she has hidden her son. I mean, this is a bad time in the nation of Israel where they have now resulted, the famine is so bad, they're so distant from God that they've begun to start to cannibalize each other, sacrificing their own children. And yet, jot it down in Leviticus chapter 26. Sometimes we wonder, maybe you have the question of why do we study through the whole Bible? Because the Bible explains the Bible. The best commentary and the best place to get your Bible questions answered is the Bible. And so jot this down, I'll read it to you in Leviticus chapter 26, verse 27. God is speaking. After all of this, if you do not obey me, but walk contrary to me, then I'll also walk contrary to you in a fury And I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. Check this out. Verse 29 says, You shall eat the flesh of your sons, and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. He's predicting that the nation of Israel, when they rebel against them, are going to be so bad that they're going to resort to cannibalism. And you say, did that ever happen? 2 Kings chapter 6 is one example. The king tore his clothes in great brokenness. Verse uh, 30, notice. Now it happened when the king heard the words of this woman that he tore his clothes and he passed by on the wall and the people looked and there underneath he had sackcloth on his body. And then he said, God, do so to me and more also if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on him today. (laughs) So how do we know that the king isn't listening or following God? Because he blames Elisha. And Elisha is who? The man of God. Friends, don't be surprised when you're obeying God that someone's going to blame you for their own personal difficulties. They're going to blame you. And something's going to come towards you. There they are in their own life and dealing with the issues of their life and there you are obeying God and enjoying God and walking with God and then what happens? This guy is so far from God that he blames Elisha for this. This is all Elisha's fault. We need to take him down. But Elisha, notice, was sitting in verse 32 in his house and the elders were sitting with him and the king sent a man ahead of him. But before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, I I love this, do you see how this son of a murderer has sent someone to take away my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door. Hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of my master's feet behind him? Now, we get to do this a little bit for those of you that bought the ring doorbell. Anybody have the ring doorbell? where somebody comes and pushes a button and the camera turns on and you can see who's at the door. And you can see if it's a UPS guy or it's some solicitor. Like You can see through your door if you have a camera there. Elisha could see through the door with the eyes of God. He totally called this out. They didn't open the door. They didn't have a ring camera there. 
God gave them insight and told them to hold on. And these guys trusted Elisha so much, they did what he said. And he calls them out. And here, here is the king blaming God and his people for the tragedy, going after Elisha. And just like Jezebel had threatened Elijah, now this king Jehoram is threatening Elisha. And they send someone there in verse 33 while he was still talking with them. There was the messenger coming down to him. And then he said, surely this calamity is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? And here's another example, an instance of Elisha being given insight on what's happening in the spiritual realm. And it's so encouraging because I found myself many, many times asking God to give me insight in the spiritual realm. Because what's before me or what's before you makes no human sense. And even if it did make sense or you could try to figure it out, you still want to know what's happening in the spiritual realm. You still, we still want to know what's going on in the spiritual realm because with this insight, so if you find yourself praying for God to reveal things in the spiritual realm to you for, for insight of what's going on in a, in a situation, uh, for insight of what's going on in a family situation, in insight of what's going on in a church situation, what's happening at work, why is all this chaos happening, why is all this stuff, and you're beginning to pray for insight, it's comforting to know that God knows all the details surrounding your life. That's why you're praying. It's not because you're curious. It's not because you want to doubt. It's because, God, what's happening in my life? And I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged that God knows what's happening in my life. He knows the beginning from the end. While I'm learning what's happening moment by moment, I know the God that knows. And so do you. We know the God that knows. And he knows what's happening behind the scenes. And you can ask him to open your eyes. And you can ask him to reveal. And you can ask him to show you what's happening. And watch as you're abiding in him, bearing fruit, trusting him, running your race. God will show himself faithful. And he'll reveal to you what he wants to reveal to you. Even as we see this in the life of Elisha. One more thing. I don't want to find myself in the shoes of this king, and I'm sure you don't either. Just leading and guiding God's people by the seat of his pants, shooting from the hip. There's no mention anywhere. He's so quick to blame Elisha, so quick to blame God for the calamities that they're facing. And, and we don't see an instance of him asking God. We don't have an instance of him crying out to God. Yeah, he's upset for certain as I think you and I would, as he sees the destructive cannibalism happening among, of course, it's just disgusting. But he's not brokenhearted enough to cry out to God. As we've learned in other studies, there's a difference between godly sorrow and human sorrow. There's a difference between true godly repentance and just feeling sorry that you got caught and just being mad and upset that the consequences have caught up to you. Because Human sorrow will lead to your own personal destruction where godly sorrow leads to repentance and life change. And godly sorrow, the problem is, is a lot of times they kind of feel the same. And you'll know the difference between godly sorrow and human sorrow if there's a change after you've repented. Because if there's a change, then you truly did repent. If there's not a change, then that's not repentance. 
And godly sorrow thinks more of being brokenhearted toward what you've done toward God and others. Human sorrow thinks more of your own personal problem. Oh, I got caught. Oh, I'm in trouble. Oh, what's going to happen now? Oh, and it's all about me. That's, God, that's not godly sorrow. Godly sorrow says, I remember if you want to you um, see a good example of godly sorrow, Psalm 51 is David's psalm of repentance. Psalm 51, 5, 1. And David just says, I have sinned against you, God. That was his first thought. I've sinned against you. I've broken your heart. I've broken your covenant. And I want to get right with you. So God's word to us tonight, love your enemies. Pray for them that are persecuting and spitefully using you. It'll release you from bitterness and anger and keep you lean and keep you ready to run your race with joy, right? Because you only get to run one, one race. And you're not running my race and I'm not running your race. We only get to run one race. But the good news is, is that we're all on the same track. And we get to run this race in the Lord. But we all have our place and we all have our calling and we all have our commitment to the Lord. And so maybe the Lord just speaking to you tonight as you remember that it's his heart for you to love your enemy. So Father, we know that these Bible studies are easy to teach than they are to live sometimes. And so just in the quietness of our own minds and hearts, we, we lift up to you some people that we might perceive as enemies or, or maybe not enemies, but just people that don't like us or are against us or you know, just we're not in fellowship with them. And so we just lift them up to you, Lord, to no matter what the issue is. And ask you to help us to love them, to release them, so we can run our race unhindered. We could run our race in a way that pleases and honors you, that we might be sons of our Father. That we wouldn't be like the world, just living for ourselves. I pray that there would be godly sorrow in this place today. That we would not feel sorry for ourselves. But God, we would be in anguish over our sin against you and and against those that we love and those that love us. That we might live freely by your grace. That God, you would use us and forgive us for not loving our enemies. Forgive us for wanting their teeth to be broken. Wanting their eyes to be, you know, eye for an eye, but we want two eyes. We want revenge. There's just something in our perverted, twisted mind that we want them to hurt just a little bit more than we did. And it just never ends, except at the cross, where you hurt for all of us. And you took it, took the uh, penalty and the pain of crucifixion, even though you were innocent. So I just pray you would forgive us as we confess our sins to you tonight that we might be children of the light following you as sons and daughters of the Father. And if you're here today, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I invite you to receive the forgiveness of your sins by acknowledging to God that you've sinned against him, confessing with your mouth that Jesus Christ indeed did die for you and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. The Bible promises that you'll be saved if that truly is what happens in your life. That if you'll just acknowledge it, you failed God. 
and agree with God that you're not perfect and that you've been distant from him and you haven't been living your life for God. You haven't been living your life to God. You've just been doing your own thing. And even to the point where you've done your own thing and still are in a church family. But you've never, you never repented and turned away from your sin. You, you've never denied yourself and sought to follow Jesus Christ with your life. You've never really sought, sought him out, you know. You never really asked him what he thinks about your life. You never really asked him what he thinks about what you're into right now. And, and you're just kind of in your own way. But God has brought you to hear me today. That even though you've taken a posture against God, he loves you. And he loves you so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. So that if you would believe in him tonight, you would not perish, but enjoy everlasting life, eternal life. And so if that's you today, I want to invite you. Would you just stand to your feet today or, you know, maybe uh, uh, listening on the radio, you can't ignore, we don't see you, of course, uh, but God sees you. And just pause in your life. Maybe you need to pull your car over or you need to quiet the kids down a little bit. And God is speaking to you and like invite those around you to be a part of your moment of truth, of repentance and humility before God. But if you're here in this room, I want to give you a chance because we're here with you and we would love to enjoy uh, this momentous occasion in your life. The greatest thing you will ever do in your life, nothing will ever compare to the moment you humble yourself before God and receive his gift and free offer of salvation. Is there anyone here that would say, yeah, that's me. Would you just stand to your feet? I want to pray with you that, that this is the moment of truth for you. The appointment of God, you know, we like to call it. Well, you didn't know it was going to happen. Now God did because he loves you and he's pursued you and he'll keep pursuing you. But today's the day of your life. Everything changes. The weight of this world no longer has to be carried by yourself. The hope of living a life that's holy and set apart. And so if you're listening in and you want just to, to point your life toward God and ask him to forgive you, you could pray a prayer like this. You could say, God, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. Because you sent your, Jesus, your son Jesus Christ to die for me. And I believe he rose again from the dead to forgive me and save me. God, I ask you that you would help me to live a life that pleases you and honors you. I ask you, God, to transform me and to help me turn away from my sins and my habits, these habits that I know are not right before you. And help me to follow you all the days of my life. And God, I know some we praying that prayer with us that, that are crying out to you and you receive them. But, but now, church, if you're here and you're just like, you've got that enemy and you just need to say, you just need, instead of following my lead, you just need to confess that person. Maybe you don't even know his name. And you're just so angry and so bitter and so upset. That in your mind, you don't have to say it out loud. But just before the Lord, you can confess that to him. You can confess the hatred you have. 
You can confess the, the, the frustrations you hold. And you can ask God not only to forgive you, but to soften your heart. That you might obey what Jesus told, him, told us. And I know it's hard to admit. It's, a, it's coming up right against your pride. But you don't need to be in bondage to that person any longer. They don't have any control over you. You don't have to be overcome by evil. But you overcome evil by good. And one of the things you're doing right now is good. You're just confessing to God in your heart. And it's just allowing him to minister to your heart. And so just keep praying as, as Henry leads us in this song. And, and uh, you can stand up anytime. And just stay in a posture of prayer now and worship. Prayer and worship as we close up our time today. And of course the pastors will be up here uh, to pray with you if you need prayer. The person next to you will pray with you as well. Uh, but just stay in this posture of prayer and worship. And may the Lord bless you guys this week and encourage you until we gather again this weekend. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.